I have a passion and I have a heart for evangelism. One of my coworkers once asked me, you know, wouldn't it feel kind of awkward to share gospel with people? You know, it feels like you're imposing your belief on people. And I thought about that. I told her, no, actually, I don't quite feel awkward because, you know, if there is a sale going on in uh, Nordstrom and I know a friend of mine needs something there, I would not hesitate at all to tell her. And but then this face that I know that has fundamentally changed my life and would bring so much good to my friend's life. So why wouldn't I want to share, share that? I was born and raised in Shanghai, China. Growing up, Christianity and God is a very foreign concept to me. In 1998, I came to the U.S. A roommate invited me to a student Bible study group. Over time, I just realized that those are a bunch of very uh, nice people. There's nothing they can gain from, you know, being nice to me, being helpful to me, but then yet they want to be helpful. One day, uh, a friend at the, uh, the fellowship shared with me the gospel. I didn't quite believe it, but I, I figured there was not much downside in accepting Jesus. I pretty much lived my life just like before. I, I was a church attender, but not a Christ follower. That went on for about five, six years. I went through a, a bout of depression. I started to realize that my life, especially my career, was not going the way that I, I had expected. And I, I simply could not accept that. It was the darkest period of my life. That suffering really taught me that the true meaning of surrender, uh, the ownership of my life to God. And, uh, you know, accept Jesus as the Lord of my life. I came out of that depression with a, a compassion, a uh, just a heart for evangelism. I simply wanted to, to, to tell others about this God and this faith that fundamentally changed my life. A few years back, my dad's health was failing. I really wanted him to have that eternal life, spend with God in his heavenly home when the day comes. Well, there's an unlikely witness, but there's also unlikely converts. And my dad was one of those. So I prayed hard. Even though I prayed, I, I didn't quite believe that it's going to happen. So I started to pray to God that, uh, you know, He would give me that faith, give me that confidence that it's going to happen. And uh, God has the power and He can he, and He will do that. God gave me the grace to share the gospel and then uh, bring my own father to Christ. My dad passed away last year. I had a very uh, special bond with my dad, but I'm also so very much happy for, for my dad because I know he is um, uh, in his heavenly home and uh, he is with the Lord. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. It's been, you know, 15, 16 years now, and uh, I can see that God has so fundamentally changed my life and continues to do so day by day. God and His love has pursued me all, all my life. And what joy, what, what peace, and what hope that is. 
I'm so glad that you got to hear a little bit of Alex's story. I got to hear more of that story, even more of the details, um, having lunch with her a while back and just being so encouraged by the way that, as she mentioned, a loving God pursued her and then invited her into the journey of pursuing her parents and them coming to faith. The Christian message, the good news of Jesus is that we have a God who pursues us. We have a God who comes after us. The biblical language even tells us we have a God who rescues us. And it's not so much a picture of a God who throws um, a life preserver to us and hopes that we grab hold of it or dares us to grab hold of it. But we have a God who is the life preserver. We have a God who uh, is willing to dive into the depths, into the deepest and darkest places and rescue us by wrapping himself around us and drawing us near to himself that we might become what we were intended to be, his children. That's why in the Gospel of John, he says that we can receive what God has done for us. We can receive the rescue of Jesus and become his children. And the amazing thing is that, as we heard even in Alex's story and what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, is that Jesus would invite us to be a part of that, that he would invite us to participate in his mission of rescue. And we've been talking about being witnesses of him, that uh, we're in this series called Unlikely Witness, and that the scripture tells us a witness in the biblical uh, term, is one who sees something important or amazing. We see the power and the gracious pursuit of God and his love and his goodness. And we bear witness to that. We say something about that. Right? And so my hope is that over the past few weeks, and if you haven't been with us, you can go back and watch online, but my hope is that we're becoming more and more convinced that to be a witness, to do this evangelism thing, that it's a scary word, but to be a witness is not a have to, but it's a get to, right? That we get to be a part of what God is doing. But here's, here's the danger, is that we hear this invitation and then we can tend to approach it from two extremes. One extreme is, okay, God's invited me on his mission and now it's all up to me. I, it, it's all up to me. I got to get it right. I, had, I, I need to have all the right answers. I need to get my act together so I'm a good enough witness. Um, I, I, I need to get get better at all of these things. And so I become paralyzed, right? I don't share, I don't witness to the goodness of God because I'm pretty sure I'll mess it up. Or I think, well, it's all up to me and I jump in and then I'm tempted, as we talked about last week, I'm tempted to make it transactional. I'm tempted to make people my project. I'm tempted to manipulate them to pray a prayer and then I get my 
church points or something like that. And that's not how it works. So one, one tact is to say, it's all up to me. I, I got to be a good witness. I got to go after this. Now, another way to look at this is to say, well, it's now it's all up to God. And certainly God is big in this, and we're going to talk about that. But there's a temptation to then just also say, well, it's all up to God. And I'm paralyzed again. I don't want to witness because I'm pretty sure that it doesn't really matter, that God's going to do what God wants to do, and I'll just let God do what He wants to do, and then I don't have to do anything. Or, again, I take the it's all up to God side, and now I'm tempted to make it transactional with God. That if I can pray the right way, if I can get the right system of prayer, if I can live the right way, then God will have to do these things in the lives of people I care about. Maybe you've heard the expression, pray as if it's all up to God, work as if it's all up to you. I wanna say something about that. <laughs> I heard that for years. I think I, you know, I've seen it cross-stitched on pillows. Pray as if it's all up to you, work as if it's all, I mean, pray as if it's all up to God, work as if it's all up to you. This is an invitation to burnout, to religious burnout, right? Am I praying right again? Am I working hard enough? Am I witnessing hard enough? Am I doing enough? And then there's just this, this guilt that we care. Well, I could be doing more. I know I could be doing that. That's not how God wants us to live. And so I believe that there's a different path that we could take. What if witnessing wasn't just for God, but it was with God? What if witnessing, what if our prayers weren't just praying to God or praying at God, but they were actually praying with God? What if the invitation to witness was an invitation truly to a partnership with God, to do the with God life that we were created for, to live life as the scripture talks about in Christ. What if this is an invitation to partnership with God? That's what I wanna talk about. And so if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five. Uh, we'll be there and um, let me pray. Uh, Father, we, we invite you to speak to us through your word that the scripture would come alive to us today, that your truth would become our truth, that your goodness would become our goodness, that your way would become our way. Would you help us? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church. He says this, for Christ's love compels us. Sometimes that is translated, Christ's love constrains us. And because the word there is the idea that the love of Christ for us presses us in from both sides and it compels us out. It sends us out. And so Paul is saying Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that Jesus died for all. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Hear the the language of partnership. Hear God's part and our part. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. To be reconciled is to be made right, to be restored, to be redeemed. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That is such good news. God is not an accountant. He's not counting our sins against us. And he has committed to us. Now God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors or his representatives were his witnesses. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul is describing here is a partnership with God. And here's what happens when we partner with God. When we partner with God, God brings his presence and we bring our dependence. God brings his presence and we bring our dependence. This is what it looks like, God bringing his presence. We could go all the way back to Genesis But we'll just start in Matthew 28, where Jesus, after his resurrection, pulls together his followers and he commissions them. He invites them into his mission and he says, hey, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And the word for go there is really the word as you go, where you are, as you go, make disciples. A disciple is somebody who's a learner of Jesus, an apprentice to Jesus, somebody who follows Jesus. And so basically he's saying, go and help people find and follow me. And then he adds, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's telling them that he's leaving, but at the same time, he's saying, I'll never leave you. His physical presence with them is leaving, but he will remain with them. He's giving them his presence as he invites them to step out as those who help others find and follow him. We uh, looked at this verse in the first week of the series in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus, again, he's about to ascend to the Father after his resurrection, and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Again, Jesus is declaring to them his presence because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. And when he comes, he will give them power. John 14, Jesus at another point was saying to them, and he was just talking about his departure. 
and he was talking about sending the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, he says this, Jesus says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Not just with you, not going before you, not coming behind me, you, but Jesus is in you by his spirit. Paul will often in his writings interchange the, the spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit, God's indwelling presence with us. And when God brings his presence, what comes with his presence is power and grace power and grace. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive the power you need to live with me. You will receive the power that you need to be my witnesses. And there is grace because God's grace brings about our salvation. It is God's grace that accomplishes our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 he says this, Paul says this, but because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, the message of religion is do, right? Do this. Do this to get God's favor. Do this to get to nirvana. Do this to get to paradise. Do this to get to heaven. But the message of Jesus is done. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus has done to reconcile us to God, to restore us to our truest identity as God's children. The message of religion is do, do more, do this. The message of Jesus is done. It's been done for you. That is his grace. God's presence brings power and grace. And what do we bring to this partnership? God brings his presence. We bring our dependence. Soren Kierkegaard said it this way. He said, our greatest achievement is to let God help us. Our greatest achievement is to let God help us. And friends, we are dependent upon God. We are dependent upon God for our salvation. We're dependent upon God for our sanctification. That's um, the big theological term for how we become more and more like Jesus, how we live our every day in Christ, with Christ. We're dependent upon God for the message of our witness and the power behind our witness, that his story transforms our story. We're gonna talk about that more next week. And we're dependent upon God, of course, to use us. But it's interesting how Paul describes the unlikely witness, how Paul describes himself as an ambassador for Christ. This is what he says about us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the chapter that precedes the chapter I read earlier in, in chapter 5, where he says we're his ambassadors. We've been given the message of reconciliation. 
he says this. Paul says, we, the witnesses of Jesus, right? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is the message of reconciliation. We carry this message within ourselves. And how he describes us is jars of clay, easily breakable, fragile, weak. And the purpose for that is that God's power would be put on display. Uh, church family, would God have mercy on us if we would ever want our power on display, if we're more concerned about the glory of our church than the glory of our God, if we're more concerned about our glory, our power, than the power of our God showing up. Paul is clear about this in another place. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were when God called you to himself, when he rescued you. He said, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. No one would steal God's glory from him. He goes on, he says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come to you with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, when I witnessed to you about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's why our partnership with God, our dependence upon Him, shows up in prayer. We pray. We wanna be a praying church. We wanna be a praying people. That's why when you came in, uh, you should have gotten a little card like this. If you didn't, that's okay, because you can still just write this in your phone or write it on a piece of paper. But here's what we wanna do. This little card is just a, an opportunity for you to consider who are people that you could be praying for right where you are to be a witness to him. Maybe there are some family or friends and you wanna write their names in that circle. Maybe a neighbor or two, a coworker or classmates, 
Maybe you wanna start praying for the world. Maybe you have friends who live in other parts of the world or, or there's a country that you sense God has put upon your heart. Would you take a minute right now, grab a pen and just fill in some of these things. Write some names down. And then here's my encouragement. Let's have our prayer not be so much of a talking at God or just listing names to God, although we can do that too. But we wanna have our prayer be a conversation with God because the scripture tells us, and this is mind blowing, that the Holy Spirit prays for us. The scripture tells us that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He is still, he is praying for us. And so when we pray, we join in this Trinitarian conversation. We speak with God. And so you write down some names on this card and then you sit with those names and you have a conversation with God about it. You ask him, Father, how do you see so-and-so? How do you see this person? And let God speak to you about that. Pause, listen. Father, how are you inviting me to serve or love or encourage this person this day, this week? And we pause and we listen. You see, to witness where we are is to pray for where we are. And I know so many of you do this. You walk your neighborhoods and you pray for it. You may not even know the people who live in the houses in, all, in your neighborhood, all of them, but, but you pray for them and you ask God to be kind to them and to show up in their life. Maybe you uh, get to work early and you just pray through the cubicles as you walk by and you pray for your coworkers. Maybe when you get to school, you pause in the parking lot and you pray for your teachers and you pray for your classmates. You pray for the janitors and you pray for those who work there. We're a praying people, a dependent people. David Brainerd, a missionary in the early 1700s, he was a missionary to the United States. He said, when we depend on organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend on man, we get what man can do. But when we depend on prayer, we get what God can do. So we pray and we take risks. It's a risky thing. I get it. It's a risky thing to share our faith. It's a risky thing to be a witness of who God is. We risk rejection. We risk misunderstanding. But here's what I wanna encourage us towards is that we don't wait until we have all the answers. We don't wait until we get our life completely right. We don't wait until we have no more doubts, but we take any opportunity that God might present to us to speak of his goodness, to share our story and how God's story is intersected with our story. You see, we can risk because we know that God's power shows up in our weakness. God's power shows up in our weakness. Second Corinthians 
chapter 12, Paul had had some visions of God. In our day and age, if you have a vision of God, you're gonna write a book, you're gonna go on a speaking tour, you're gonna, you're gonna be all over the place, you're gonna be on billboards, right? But Paul knew this, that there would, might be a temptation for him to boast about his visions. He might be tempted to boast about what he had seen and what God had given him. And he says this, he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, I don't even know what that means, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But Jesus said this to me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Because when God shows up, he brings his grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When God shows up, he brings his grace and he brings his power and his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Not just God is strong, I am strong. God's strength shows up in me because his grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Theologian Daniel Fuller said, people who regard themselves as invalids rather than heroes will make great missionaries. And I wanna leave us with that. That people who regard themselves as invalids rather than heroes will make great witnesses. You see, we live in an area of the country where self-sufficiency has trumped God dependency. We love the power of people. We wanna be connected to powerful organizations. We do not wanna be weak. And yet it's in our weakness that the power of our God shows up because the way of Jesus is the way down. The way of Jesus was to bear the cross so that he could wear the crown. His scars are our strength. And that is an upside down, countercultural, not like anything we know kind of kingdom. Would we be witnesses who are willing to be weak that God's power might show up for his glory, for his purposes? Oh, Lord, we pray this. Remove our pride. Remove all of our conceit. How can we stand before you 
without bowing down in dependence and in need. Oh, to honor you, God above all gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior and friend, the one who loves us even in our weakness, who demonstrated, you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Amen.